seated. Our passage for this evening comes from Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 9. Before we come to that, we need to understand a little bit about this book. It's an Old Testament book. It's one we don't often turn to, but it's found in the part of the Old Testament known as the wisdom literature, beginning with Job, Psalms, Proverbs, uh, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Song of Psalms. And what we find in the book of Ecclesiastes is the main speaker is an old man named Preacher. And what he's doing is he's looking back over his life. And he's questioning what is life. What has he learned over all these years about what is the meaning of life? And so what better time to ponder the question of the meaning of life than at a baccalaureate service? We want to come to his wisdom tonight and see how it applies not only to our graduates, to your children and family members, but for all of us. And as we do that, join me as we have a brief prayer time, a brief time of prayer as we come together for God's word. Lord, we do come now and pray simply for your blessings upon this time. This is your word. There is nothing better. And there is nothing better for our hearts, for our minds, for our ears, for our souls than to hear you speak to us through your word. So, Lord, use me as your messenger. Let everything I say tonight only be your truth. Let everything that is heard tonight only be your truth that's heard. And in all this, you will be glorified. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 9 tells us this. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgments. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God stands forever. Amen. Twenty-nine years ago, the Richard Wynn Academy class of 1992 sat in the same sanctuary. Students sitting where you're sitting right now. Parents and loved ones sitting in the pews behind you where they're sitting, yours are sitting this evening. And they were gathered for their baccalaureate service. And the preacher that evening was Reverend Richard Hodges, who is the pastor of Salem Presbyterian Church. He was a wonderful pastor and even better man. And he's still a pastor of Salem Presbyterian Church to this day. And that evening, he stood in his pulpit and he preached a sermon that members of the class of 1992 still remember 29 years later. Now, to you, that might not sound like a big deal, but to a preacher, that is a big deal. Because one thing I have learned in my 22 years of serving in the ministry is that people normally do not remember your sermons. This morning, we started a new sermon series in the book of Proverbs. And I'm hopeful that most of my church members can remember at least the main points that we shared, that were in the book of Proverbs, it's in the Bible, in the Old Testament. I hope they can remember that by this evening. And I know by the middle of the week, they probably won't. And that's okay. Because by the middle of the week, I probably will forget what I said too because how bad the sermon was. But for folks to remember a sermon from 29 years ago is quite the feat. So with that in mind, I want to rip off Reverend Richard Hodges tonight and basically re-preach his sermon. Now, I got his permission to do this. I can be, uh, I can be, uh, 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 I, I can be accused of many things. Uh, I don't want to be accused of plagiarism. Uh, so I got his okay to at least take the general idea of what he preached 29 years ago. And what he preached that night was, be young, don't be foolish, be happy. 
Now, for some of us, that may ring a bell. It sounds like a great old beach song, doesn't it? Be young, be foolish, and be happy. But we want to adapt that message as we find it in Scripture. And what we find is that God wants you to be happy. He wants you to be young, but He does not want you to be foolish. So let's start with young, youthfulness. This is a gift of grace from God. This is what the preacher tells us here in Ecclesiastes, that God has created all of us to have this time of youth and youthfulness in our lives. Think again about what this man who, who's old, he's gray, and he's got, you know, uh, uh, his eyebrows aren't long, he's got hair growing out of his nose, out of his ears, and he's looking back over his life, and he says, Rejoice, O young man, in your youth. You be young man, young woman, rejoice in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Very clear, isn't it? Rejoice in your youth because it is a gift from God. It's a time that God has given you to make that transition from being an awkward middle schooler, right, uh, to being a less awkward adult. It's that time that God and his providence and sovereignty has provided for you to continue to grow in all the ways that you need to grow. Physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. So it's interesting to look, and this preacher, as he looks back on his life, he says, so wonderful is his days of youth that he's telling you, be happy in it. Be in good cheer. Enjoy being a youth. And that may be, sound like a weird message because so often we're taught you need to grow up, grow up, grow up, move on and on and on. But God is telling you, no, slow down. Enjoy being a youth. One of my all-time favorite shows is The Office. And the finale of the series, when the characters, Andy Bernard, makes this wonderfully deep philosophical observation. He said, I spent so much of my time here at work thinking about my old pals, my college a cappella group. The weird thing is now I'm exactly where I want to be. I have my dream job at Cornell, and I'm still just thinking about my old pals, only now they're the ones I made here at work. I wish there was a way to know you're in the good old days before you've actually left them. That's wonderfully deep, isn't it? I wish there was a way to know you're in the good old days before you've actually left them. If you're able to look behind you, you would see a number of older folks in here nodding their heads. It's our human nature to think that the grass is always greener on the other side. When you're in a lower school, you want to be in upper school. When you're in middle school, you want to be in high school. Now you're ready to tear out of here and be in college. You get to the end of college, you don't want college to end. You're kind of avoiding adulthood at that point. The grass isn't always green on the other side. Sometimes the grass is very green right where you are. And the wisdom of the preacher is don't let this time as a youth pass you by. These are your good old days. And you're going to reach a day where you wish you could come back and revisit them. And you can't. You're going to be old. And you're going to be hurting. And there's no coming back. So rejoice. Be cheerful in them. Enjoy these days as a gift of grace of God that it is. The famous Irish playwright George Bernard Shaw said, Youth is wasted on the young. God has called each of you to enjoy the youth he's given you. Rejoice these days. Let your heart be full of that cheer that comes from being young so that the gift of youth isn't wasted on you. His ongoing wisdom, the preacher says, when you embrace your youth as a gift from God, 
then this path of happiness is open up to you. And the Bible talks about happiness as pointing to something deeper than what the world tells us is happiness. Worldly happiness is based upon conditions and situations. It's something we have no control over. It's dictated by external forces and powers. We can be happy, and there's times we want to be happy, but we can't do it. And that's why you'll hear and you'll see signs that says, my happy place is the beach, or my happy place is in the mountains. I'm happiest when such and such is happening. What we find is that worldly happiness is based upon conditions and situations, but what the Bible has in mind here, happiness is more akin to joy. And biblical joy is something that's much more deeply rooted in our minds and hearts, because joy isn't dependent on a place. It's not dependent on weather. It's not dependent on situation. Joy is based upon God. And God never changes. And God never leaves. And biblical joy is based upon who God is and what he has done for his people. And so the preacher is saying to us here, true happiness of youth is knowing this God. Not knowing about him, but knowing him. Knowing who he is. Knowing how much he loves you and all he has done for you. It's the happiness of that faith in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit who so loved you that before the beginning of time they made this covenant, this promise that they would do everything on heaven and earth to save you from your sins. It is the joy of being a Christian. When you come to the book of Philippians and the New Testament, you need to always remember this when you read it. It's written by Paul, and Paul is sitting in prison. And it may have very much been like a dungeon prison. You know, water running on the walls and rats running all over the place. The letter he wrote is known as the letter of joy. And one of the things he says in there is rejoice again, I say rejoice. How in the world can a man who's in chains in prisons with rats biting at his feet say, I am joyful? Because his joy wasn't based upon where he was. His joy is based upon who his faith is in. The father who so loved him that he gave up his only begotten son. And the father and son who so loved him that gave the Holy Spirit to reside in his heart to always remind him of that wonderful truth. And the preacher says here is that the sooner you know this happiness, this biblical joy, then the better it will be for you. Later on in this book, the preacher says this, Remember your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come. See, what he knows is that the sooner you learn to place your joy in God, instead of placing it in any everything else, the better it will go for you. Because there are going to come days that are just horrible. There are going to come days that want to sink you into the depth of depression, want to build your anxiety up. There are going to come days where you're going to think that life is not worth living. So what do you hold on to? the beach is your happy place? That you really like coconut cake? (laughs) What you hold on to is that God so loves you. That's the joy of the Lord. That's why the prophet Ezra tells God's people, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Not who you are, not what you do, not your abilities. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And so the sooner you know that happiness that biblical joy, then the better it is for you to handle the hard days that will come. So be young. Be happy. Know who God is. Know how much he loves you. Know all that he has done for you. The sooner you do this, the better it will be. Be young. Be happy. 
but don't be foolish. What the Bible tells us over and over again is that knowing this gift of youth and happiness, is it can't be found within us. You can only notice through faith in Jesus Christ. As I mentioned earlier, we started this morning our summer series on the book of Proverbs. And the main thrust of that book is wisdom versus foolishness. And who the Bible considers foolish are those who don't believe in God. Now, we may think of foolishness in terms of action, but what they're talking about here is faith because faith always leads to action. Everything begins with faith. So it talks about these only two ways you can take in life. It's either the way of wisdom or the way of foolishness. And it's like how Robert Frost in his poem, The Road Less Taken, and there are two paths diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. And I have to shut my eyes to remember that so I don't mess it up. There's only two paths to take. And what the Bible says the height of foolishness is not to believe in God. Because the evidence of him is everywhere. Romans 1 tells us it's in nature. It declares to us that there's a God. Romans 19, or sorry, Psalm 19 tells us the same way, or same thing. All around us, the world declares there's a God. There's evidence of God and his people, the church, because as a people gathered, as a people who have been changed, who are dying to their sinful selves, who are aiming to love God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love their neighbors as their selves. There's evidence of God in the fact that in Jerusalem there's an empty tomb because Jesus Christ is resurrected from the dead. There's evidence of God in the veracity of scriptures of the Old New Testament because every prophecy has been fulfilled and every truth in it has been shown to be very truthful. And so everything around us screams out there is a God. And what the Bible warns us is that the height of foolishness is to take all that evidence and ignore it and to live your life as if, as if there isn't a God. To have it all laid out plain in front of you and say, eh, what does it matter? There is no God. But my guess is that for many of you this morning, or this evening, sorry, you would confess that you are a Christian. You go to a Christian school. There's chapel. There's prayer. There's a Christmas program where the nativity story is a part of it. You come to Easter and there's Easter programs that talk about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. You probably say, hey, I walked the aisle at my church to be baptized. I was baptized as an infant. I raised my hand at VBS or Camp Bon Clark and our D now. But I imagine many of you would say at some point in your life, you have confessed that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. What the Bible says is next to the height of foolishness and not believing in God, is claiming him as your God, but not living out that faith. When the worst thing you can do is say you're a Christian, but there's not much of any evidence of that faith in your life. We think of Judas, don't we? That you're known more for how you are apart from Christ than you are united to Christ in and through faith. That you're known to be more a sinner than a saint. And the Bible says that is a dangerous thing to do. It's a dangerous thing to take upon the name of the triumph God and then act as if the devil is better than him. It never ends well. I, I tell my church and my youth this a lot whenever they listen to me. I don't really care what you say about your faith. What I care is about what you do with your faith. With your faith. I don't care about your bios on Instagram. I don't care what Bible verses you put on Facebook. What does your life say about your faith? Jesus tells us in Luke chapter 6 
The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. So what does your life speak to about your faith in God? Can you confess with Paul for me to live as Christ? Can others, can others say that about you? Or can they say, you know, for me to live as party? For me to live as athletics? For me to live is to have a good time? What does your life speak to about your faith in God? It's foolish to claim to be something you're not. It's eternally foolish to claim to be a Christian. We are not in the least bit concerned about living for Jesus in all ways. And let me end on this one caution. One of the follies of youth is thinking that you are invincible. But there's always a tomorrow. And you may be sitting there this evening thinking, why give my life to Christ now and get ready to go to college? Sex, drugs, and rock and roll, baby. Four years, let's get it on. And at the end of four years, I'll commit my life to Christ. Let me have my fun for four years. And then I can settle down when college is over with. But first of all, that shows a wrong view of Christ. Second of all, it shows you our life is far more fragile than what you may realize. Many of you have heard my testimony, and a part of that testimony is from the time I was 13 until I was 21, I averaged one friend a year die. 13 years old, Felicia, a classmate, was out with her sister on a Friday night when a drunk driver ran a stop sign, hit their car, and killed both of them. Next year, freshman year, 14 years old, Chad was a skateboarding buddy. He was riding home from the beach on spring break when their truck went out the side of the road and went over an embankment and killed them both. 15 years old, Joel, who grew up around the corner from me, was driving home from a party when a drunk driver ran, stop sign, and killed him as well. 16 years old, Sean, another classmate of mine who I used to eat lunch with, was messing around with some friends one night at home. One of them pulled out a gun, accidentally shot Sean in the head and killed him. Next year, 17 years old, Kenneth, who grew up three houses down from me, was working with his dad at a local convenience store. Somebody came in and robbed them and killed them both. They still haven't found that killer. 18 years old, Randy went out to the woods, sat in a car, and killed himself. 19 years old, Luke, a very dear friend of mine, was found shot to death at a local state park. 20 years old, Courtney, who I grew up with, was accidentally shot and killed. 21 years old, Leslie, who was an ex-girlfriend of mine, was driving home from a concert when her car ran off Screaming Eagle Road and turned over on top of her and she died. That's not including the other suicides and other things that went on in my class. Life is fragile. There's no guarantee of tomorrow. And y'all know this. It was a year ago that Evan got on his four-wheeler to go for a ride. It was seven months ago that Travis got into a car to go for a car ride. Life is fragile. There is no guarantee of tomorrow. And this is just as true for adults as well. Two years ago, the baccalaureate service was held here as usual. And the preacher at evening was Shane Martin, a good friend to many of us. Six months later, Shane is driving down Jackson Creek Road. He gets in a car accident that he never recovers from. Life is fragile. One of the stupidest things you can do is to think you have tomorrow. Tomorrow may never come. You want to know that you're right with God. 
to receive and rest upon Jesus Christ alone for salvation as he is offered in the gospel. So be young. Be happy. But don't be foolish. As you go out from here into the next part of your life, rejoice in the youth that God's given you. Always find your joy in God alone. Live for him alone. And that's the best life you could ever live. Go to the beach and dance to be young, be foolish, be happy. But live out the wisdom of God. Be young, be happy. Don't be foolish. Join me as we pray.